Welcome to Filling the Gap. There is a podcast that I absolutely love listening to called Ear Hustle. It's a podcast that tells the stories of those incarcerated in prison. I think why I'm so drawn to their stories is because there's always an element of the unexpected. Maybe because it's a world I'm not familiar with, or perhaps because I have biases of what I believe prison is like and why people are there. I think many of us have biases or stigmas about prison and why people are there. In this episode, we continue to share stories about prison and the unexpected realities. Prison is not a place where one typically finds hope, but in Manny's experience, it was. Before we get to that, Manny shares about his life leading up to prison. When I was growing up in Yakima, I noticed that at least when in the area that I lived in, they would say it would, would have been the bad side or the ghetto side. Um, in that area, there was probably a lot of gangs. There was a lot of kids in the street, you know, late at night, it'd be dark. All the children from the neighborhood would be playing, um, just running around. And uh, I think that's probably when I really started to get into trouble. If I think back on it now, um, it probably had to do a lot with supervision. Um, my dad worked in a different county. I'd only see him usually on the weekend, sometimes every other two weeks. There was times when you just need your dad. You know, you need him to be there to teach you to make the right decisions. And uh, I don't put the blame on my dad. I, there was a lot of times when there was lots of intervention. There was family members, friends that, you know, tried to talk to me, to speak to me, and uh, I just didn't want anything to do with it at the time. Dad's not around. Mom, of course, was always on me trying to get me to act correctly, you know, just to stay in line, but I was a young kid and I wanted to be out in the streets with my friends. Started getting in trouble, little things like uh, breaking in the cars, stealing, throwing rocks at cars, throwing rocks at the police, having them chase you to see if they could catch you. But it, it, I think it just kind of escalated little by little. The gang started getting bigger. It was around the time, probably when I became about 15 and a half or 16 years old, I had already been in juvenile quite a few times. Manny knew that the things he was doing were not good. But he explains why gang culture was so appealing to him. Manny explains more about gang culture and why people get involved in them. The thing about the gangs is, is it wasn't just like I was walking down the street and one day I saw a gang and then they said, hey, come on, you want to be with me? It, it, it's not like that. Um, when I was growing up in Yakima, um, I went to school. Um, we were, went to, I went to school with gangs on both sides of the aisle and they were my friends. So we all lived in the same neighborhood. My parents knew their parents and we all knew each other. It was really easy for me to go down the street and go hang out with some of my friends that were already in gangs. I have a small family, so it was just me, my grandma, my aunt, and my two brothers. And we, we didn't have like a lot of other people or family members to reach out to us to, to help us in certain areas. 
Um, so, of course, when you don't have help in certain areas or, or you're going to look somewhere else for that, for that comfort, that camarad- camaraderie, and that's where I found myself. The lines between gang and family life were blurring for Manny. His mother saw the effects that gangs were having in Manny's life, and she chose to move their family to Seattle. But just like with any other area, there's problems anywhere you go. So I'd say probably as soon as I hit Seattle, trouble started. I had a hard time when I moved to Seattle. I felt as if um, I probably shouldn't have been there. Maybe at the time I was pretty young. I had already been influenced by the gangs and so just putting me in another area where there was gangs already just made things a lot worse. So I really didn't go to school much. And then after moving to Seattle, uh, about a year, a little over a year and a half after that is when I got a first degree assault. It was a pretty bad thing. I ended up assaulting um, a man that was supposed to be helping me at the time jump my car. It was on a New Year's Eve and uh, I was with a friend of mine and uh, there was some racist comments that were made and me being inebriated, drunk and high. We ended up attacking this man and uh, we hurt him really, really bad. Uh, We did some pretty serious damage to him to where he would be handicapped for the rest of his life. Um, uh, I just feel terrible about it, you know, now that I, you know, years later thinking about it, it took me a long time to come to terms with it. I ended up getting locked up and they gave me 10 years. I ended up doing the full amount of time was just as wild on the inside in prison as I was on the outside. There are many people incarcerated in this country, and these are not just numbers. These are people, members of our families and communities, our neighbors and friends. Manny shares about the ripple effects of what being sent to prison did for those he left behind. The amount of pain and and just the hurt uh, from someone going to prison, it just doesn't affect that person. It, it affects everyone in their family. A lot of issues came out of me being incarcerated even after I got out with my brothers, my relationships, the, the hurt that I caused on them. The abandonment is, is what, how they would ex- explain it to me. You were here one day, you're gone. And it's got to hurt. But just thinking about my, the hurt that I put on my family, my, my brothers, and the way that they were thinking about me and, and uh, the way they felt that I had abandoned them. In the later years of his sentence, Manny was being moved to a minimum security prison. In this environment, Manny saw an opportunity to do what he did best, run drug deals. I was at McNeil Island. I was getting ready to go to camp. I had a chance to do some good, to move to a lower level of security. It was at that camp um, where old habits follow you. And when I was there at that camp, I decided um, that I was going to sell drugs in the prison. I used to get drugs from the guards. 
we used to transport those drugs and other paraphernalia using church services. So there would be inmates would be assigned to specific cell blocks and you were not allowed to go into other cell blocks. So you couldn't see each other if you had friends or maybe cousins or family members or whatever. You just weren't allowed to see each other. But you could if you went to church. I found myself at this uh, Bible study where I was supposed to meet other people to transfer drugs and you only get a 10 minute movement. So when you move from one building to another, they lock the corridors down. So you have to stay where you go until the next movement. And the people that I was supposed to meet there so we could move drugs around the prison, they didn't show up. And so I found myself stuck in a Bible study when really I was there trying to sell drugs. God has a sense of humor. There was this um, little old lady there, and God bless her, Grandma Artie. She came over to talk to me, and I was sitting way in the back of the visiting room, didn't want anything to do with no Bible study. But she was a visitor. I didn't even know who she was at the time, but she came and she just asked me who I was. Started talking to me, and we talked a little bit. Didn't have much to say because it was extremely awkward. You know, because I wasn't there for that. Bible study ended. I went back to my unit. And then I reset up the drug deal again with the people that I was supposed to meet there. Lo and behold, when I go next week to the Bible study, they don't show up again. The people that were supposed to show up, they ended up getting busted. So they ended up going to the hole. So here I am by myself again, stuck in this Bible study. And here comes this lady. She sees me and she comes over to me. She wants to talk to me. She wants to get to know me. Start talking to her a little bit. What else am I going to do? I don't, I don't want to look suspicious. But Manny kept his guard up. Prison had taught him one thing, and that is you cannot trust anybody. I didn't want to have any friendships. I just didn't trust people, especially being in prison. Everybody's out for each other. Everybody's trying to con each other. And then, of course, you have the horrible and nasty crimes they talk about, you know, getting raped or um, molested or getting beat up or abused, uh, maybe even killed. Um, so there was a lot of different issues that was going on at the time, and that's where I was. That's my mindset was there. So I get to talk to Grandma Hardy and tells me a little bit more about herself. And it's very, very awkward and very uncomfortable because I'm really not there to hear anything. I just didn't want to hear any anything that had to do with God at the moment. The movement ended. I had to go back to my unit, decide to at least give it another shot, reset up another drug deal to have some other people come through so we can move some things. And I went back to the Bible study and nobody showed up. But this time it was different. Instead of Grandma Artie just telling me a little bit about herself. I actually asked her a question. Why would you tell me so much about your husband, about your daughter, about yourself? She told me so many personal things about her life when she was younger that, you know, you if that type of stuff would have happened to you, you really wouldn't be proud about telling somebody else about it. Maybe even a little bit shameful. She explained to me that when she was younger that she was a heroin addict and that um, her daughter had some issues 
I, I it just I couldn't get it across my mind why somebody would tell me stuff so personal. And then when I asked her why, she then invited me to come back one more time. And then she says, if you come back next time, I'll go ahead and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Jesus. Grandma Artie's vulnerability was new and an unfamiliar aspect of faith to Manny. Mother's a Christian woman. Um, every time I talked to her on the phone when I was incarcerated all those years, she always wants to pray with me, always trying to get me to go to church, make sure I'm hanging out with Christian people. But, you know, prison is a whole different bag. When I was first, when I first got incarcerated, you could even say that I was persecuting the Christians. I used to say bad things about them. I even spit on a couple people. Maybe pushed a couple of them away, um, threatened them because they just wouldn't leave me alone. But there was something different this time. And so I told her, I told Grandma Artie, yes, I would come back. And then when I did, she had a lot to say about Jesus. Over time, and going from Bible study to Bible study, and then meeting more volunteers, and uh, just learning more about God, um, I made some really good friends with the uh, Seventh-day Adventist volunteers that would come into McNeil Island. If, if, if there's anything that I could say that was most important to me, it would be the love that the volunteers had for me. They used to explain to me, they just didn't say, hey, we need to study the Bible. They used to tell me real life things about what I was going to face when I was getting out. Um, am I gonna return back to the same friends? Um, uh, what type of plans did I have for myself? And these volunteers, they helped me. When Manny was released from prison, the Adventist church was right there. In fact, it was two blocks away from his mother's house. But despite having this newfound community, there are many challenges ahead for Manny. It's not easy after you get out of prison living in society. I had a hard time finding a job. It took me over eight years to find a job that I went to college for. I've actually been on a job for a while, got promoted, and then the very next day fired because they did a background check. And it's happened on more than one occasion. The stigma of his past followed Manny and kept disrupting his future. It's, it's a tough place to be in when you're really trying your hardest to try to do something with your life. Because when you get out of prison, it's either you do good or you do bad. There's no in between. You, you can't straddle the fence. If you're straddling the fence, you might as well just do bad because you're going to end up back in prison. So there's a lot of pressure. Um, you have to do right. You have to hang around the right people. And I can tell you from experience that there has been more than enough times that I can say since the time I've been out of prison where I've made some really bad mistakes. Thank God that he, not only was he with me when I was in prison, but he's with me when I'm out of prison. And that, I think, is what makes the difference. Because I could, I could tell you about so many instances about where there was a stigma, 
But when you have Christ in your life, He finds a way to open a door for you. The difficult path ahead of Manny was not one he would journey alone. Not only did he have God and his family, he had his church journeying with him. The Seventh-day Adventist volunteers, they kept in contact with me. They honestly, truly care about your soul, about your well-being, about your salvation, about being a real friend, having someone that truly cares for you. You don't have that in prison. A lot of people don't even have that in their real lives, regardless if they're in prison or not. There's a lot of times where the phone would ring and I wouldn't answer because sometimes it was overwhelming. You know, a lot of people cared about me and sometimes I just didn't want to talk to people because maybe I wasn't right with God. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, wasn't going to church. But the reason why I'm here today is because of the volunteers that Christ sent into prison to preach to me the good news of salvation. Over the years, Manny and his family have been baptized. He runs his own landscape business, and he shares the story of the hope he found in the most unexpected encounter with Christ in prison. I was headed down the wrong path, and by all means, I was a bad person. And, and uh, if I had saw somebody at that time doing the stuff that I was doing, I would have thought the same thing. There's no hope for that person. There's absolutely no hope, but I can tell you that there is hope, and that hope is in Christ. There are many times in our lives when situations feel hopeless. For those coming out of prison, hopelessness is not uncommon. As Manny said, he has found hope in Christ, but many have not. The prison ministries of the Washington Conference of Seventh-day Adventists are on a mission of fulfilling the promise of Jeremiah 29:11 to give hope and a future to former inmates through Hope House, a transitional housing program to help men out of prison find stability and direction in their lives this is how we fill the gap. For more information on this project, visit the show notes for this episode on our website. Next time on Filling the Gap, Tina shares about her struggles with an opioid addiction. But I was still, still thinking it was okay taking the pain medication because I had legitimate reasons, you know, I was in pain. And you know, you're not supposed to be in pain. They're trying to make sure your pain is managed. And I thought it was managed, you know, I thought I was doing fine taking 20 to 30 bike it in a day or taking you know 20 to 30 oxycodone a day and I got to the point where I was taking it just to be nice just so that I can feel like I'm accepted 